All right. Hello, and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today is episode 42, and we have Paige H. with us this morning. How are you doing, Paige? I'm doing good. And actually, we were just discussing for you, you're in South Africa, so it's, it's evening for you. Uh, I'm actually in the UK, but I'm from South Africa. Yeah. Okay, so you're yeah. five hours ahead in the UK. Yes. Okay, well, um, let's dive in here. Let's start talking about you. Tell us a little bit about growing up. How was that? Um, so growing up, I grew up with a single mom. Um, I, I never knew my dad until I was only 12. Um, I grew up in a small town in South Africa. My mom is a kleptomaniac, so she was a couple times arrested in front of me. Um, yeah, I grew up with quite a, a snobby, pretentious family, so it was like you could just not do much wrong. <laughs> what, what was that like seeing your mom steal in front of you? Did it kind of give you the wrong idea of morals? Uh, yeah, and fear, a lot of fear. Like, fear I just knew what? it was wrong. Just fear of, yeah, I've, I've always been scared of police and even more so because my mom was arrested. So um, obviously after the first time it happened, from there on, I was just scared all the time, even just going to the shop with her. Yeah. That's a shame. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so um, did you have both parents? Uh, no, just my mom. Just your mom? What happened to dad? He left my mom when she was five months pregnant. So they met here in the UK and then he left her when she was five months pregnant. So she came, she went back to South Africa and she had me and I reconnected with my dad when I was 12. So, yeah. He's back in your life now. Yes. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So what was life like growing up without dad just mom was it difficult did mom have her hands full yes very much so <laughs> um I think because my mom had me at really young she was 21 I think she didn't quite know how to be a single parent uh she, she how can I explain this <laughs> she kind of raised like raised me to be independent from a young age so from a young age because I had to do so many things alone I felt very different to a lot of people um and then yeah because my dad wasn't around I felt very rejected from a lot of people so because I, I felt different and rejected it, it was tough with the sink with the one parent <laughs> I can imagine yeah I had one parent growing up too it was just my dad and I know the feeling of feeling abandoned yeah definitely yeah <clears throat> So what changed that made him come back into your life around 12? Um, I think regret. <laughs> you think guilt. what? I think regret and guilt. Oh, regret and guilt. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that had an uh, effect on your drug use later in life? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I think it's... I think my drug use stemmed a lot from wanting to, I don't want to say rebel because it wasn't like I, I went like complete, like I wasn't very rebellious, but it was like, I wanted to try all the wrong things. Um, I didn't even get stuck in the wrong crowd. I just 
knew about drugs and I was like, I want to try that because it was wrong. Gotcha. Yeah. So what age did your drug use start? Uh, 13. And what was your first thing you tried? Weed. Okay. Yeah. Who'd you try it with? Uh, I tried it with a group of friends that were older than me. So did you, were you, so you, they were older than you. So you think, was this more about rebellion or was this more about possibly like a call for help or, or was it maybe out of depression? Cause like for me, I know for me, I started using more once my dad left. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it was depression. Cause I, I also started self-harm at 13. So I think a lot of it was depression and just trying to find that, escape from the depression so like smoking weed with older crowds and stuff like that um yeah I think it was it was from depression when do you think the depression first started I think it started when I was about 10 <laughs> very young yeah it's very young yeah I look back and I, I can't remember when my depression started I think for me, it was more towards high school. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mine was pretty young. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my mom left when I was eight. And then when I was 17, I moved in with my mom because my dad and I just weren't getting along. But then my dad ended up leaving. So I didn't have a relationship with him anymore. Oh, wow. So that sucked. Yeah, uh, I think do you have once... a relationship with any of them now? My mom, yes. My dad, no. Okay. Um the only way to describe my dad is he's just, he's not a good dude. I mean, he's not a bad person, but he's so, so won't change his ways. And he thinks I'm, I'm just a bad kid. At the end of the day, he thinks I was just a bad kid. He thinks I'm a bad dude that just drinks too much and gets into trouble on purpose when it's like, I'm sick. It's not, yeah. not even the fact that I had alcoholism and drug use disorder or substance use disorder. Um, I'm also mentally ill. I have yeah. bipolar, I have OCD, I have ADHD, I have things that make me different. Yeah. And he's not yeah. really too accepting of that. Yeah. Did your mom notice um, when you were younger, the times that you were getting depressed or she noticed anything off with you? Uh, she didn't notice at the time, but um, looking back now, she does realize where it all started off, that it started off very young. But at the time, no, she didn't, she just thought I was being a kid or a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> Did you like the drugs the first time you tried it? Yes, I loved it. <laughs> What'd you like about it? Um, I liked that. In my opinion, it was like it was like badass. Like I liked that it was it was gangster. <laughs> gangster. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, um, and then obviously the feeling of it, of just being in, it kind of made you feel in control at first. Yeah, and then obviously there's that turnover after long-term use that's just out of control. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How was school at this time when you were younger? How did you do in school? I've never really done well in school. I've always, like, passed just just made the pass mark <laughs> I've never been like an overachiever at school or or anything like that um 
I want to say that I think when I started smoking weed more regularly, when I was about 14, like an everyday thing, my, I definitely felt more motivated to study for exams and stuff. Um, Wait, so you said the weed made you more focused to study? Yes. Like if I, if I could smoke the weed and then study, I would study, but if I couldn't smoke the weed, I wouldn't study. That's good. I mean, that's like me also, like when I want to do some reading, um, I use medicinal stuff and I also use something called like Delta eight and stuff. It it helps me focus. It's different for everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, but there are some people who use that stuff medicinally. Yeah. Well, it was like that until I tried amphetamines. And then once I tried amphetamines, weed had like a total different effect on me and it just made me want to sleep. (laughs) Um, and then you obviously went down the, the wrong path with amphetamines <laughs> what age did you first start amphetamines um 15 how'd that happen um so a friend came to school okay well this isn't really amphetamines but I'll just say this so a friend came to school and basically <coughs> said to me that if I bought her Ritalin um I would do really well in my test that was coming up in like 20 minutes from that time period. She was like, it'll kick in pretty like soon. And then I would do really well in the test. So I started with Ritalin and about, I wouldn't even give it a month later I was using. So we have something in South Africa called CAT. I don't know if it's all around the world. I think it's just kind of a South African thing, which is basically like, um, you take it like you take cocaine, but it's, I don't even know. Is it yeah, called is it ketamine? No, no, no. It's not ketamine. It's it's called cat. Uh K-H-A-T. K-A-H-T. Um, I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, it is it is more of a South African drug. So basically we used to call it poor man's coke. So it's like a it's not coke because it doesn't make you numb, but it's it 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 gives you energy. <laughs> it's a stimulant. It's yes, yes, yeah. So then because um, CAP was more affordable, I started using that every weekend after about using Ritalin for about a month every day. And then I was using CAT on weekends and then as much Ritalin as I could in school on school days because it made me focus more. And it took away my appetite. So I think it like the losing weight and the energy to be able to go to gym. So I was eating minimum, like I was barely eating. I was working out. I was doing well in school so like it was all the thumbs up at the time isn't it amazing how good drugs are at the beginning it's like we we, we, like it's to us amazing to us addicts it's just um the greatest thing we feel better I mean for you I've never heard that before especially with the marijuana people saying that they studied more got better grades um because there's a guy, Gabor Mate, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and he says one of the things we have to look at is what do drugs do good for us? There were there were good things about them. And, you know, you just pointed out a few. Some people say it kept them from committing suicide. So yes. and then also it, it kind of says once you can figure out why it was good for you, you can kind of figure out maybe it was related to specific trauma in your past. And then yeah. you could follow that down the path to the root cause of what your problem was. And why yeah. you need it in the first place. And then hopefully, you know, you reach a day where you don't need any type of medicine. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. Um, 
at first it definitely so when I started using drugs more frequently I completely stopped myself harm so it definitely temporarily took away the depression so you were self-harming you said yeah tell us about that um I think I, I so I went to school with a girl who always walked around school showing off where she where she would self-harm um you said this was another girl in school yeah, this is another girl in school. So that's kind of how I got the idea to self-harm. Um, but then I think I just got, I got so addicted to, self-harm, you feel like you deserve it, like like you're deserving of the pain. And then I became really addicted to the pain and the blood. And the so I just why do thought. You think, why did you think you deserved it? Well, I think that stemmed from my dad leaving. And my mom not being so emotionally present because she was a single mom and working. And basically, like, it was always like, um, if something hurt me, it was like, well, my mom kind of had this attitude of, well, pe- other people have it worse. So get over it type of thing. So, like, your your emotions don't mean anything. So then you start kind of telling yourself that you don't mean anything. So I think that that's where the self-harm stemmed a lot from. What did you, how did you self-harm? I used to cut myself. Where, where did you cut yourself? Everywhere. I started on my arms and then because in the summer, in, in South Africa, the summers are hot, you can't cover that up. <laughs> um, so I started doing the top of my arms because my school shirt would cover that. Um, and then I would like inside and the outside of, until my arms at the top were basically had no more space. Then the top of my legs up the side of my stomach. Um, then, cause my school skirt would cover up to my knees and then my school socks would cover my ankles. So then I started self-harming on my ankles. Such a shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always wonder things like who is the first person to do this and spread it around. <clears throat> I've always wondered that. Um, I just have a very curious mind. And when I know when, when I learn about something, I want to know where it came from. Yeah. No, I've also, I've often thought about that. Um, more with drugs though. Like they say it's a disease and I'm like, well, how did it get into our DNA? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's one of the things that's still out. Um, but that's just a part of my language. It's another shitty addiction. Yeah. It's just yeah. adding one more to the pile. Yeah. Yeah. So what were you like when you were high? Were you a happy person? Were you a sad person? Were you just neutral and the same as you usually were? In the beginning, yes. I was actually very neutral. Um, a lot of my friends used to tell me, page is hard to even tell when you're high because like you don't really change <laughs> um yeah in the so in the beginning I was I was pretty much the same did you graduate high school yes I did luckily <laughs> and at the point when you graduated high school how was your social life and were you using and still cutting and all that 
So no, I stopped cutting when I started using drugs more frequently. So that was like between 14 and 15. So that was basically, you just switched from one thing to the other. Yeah, I stopped cutting completely between 14 and 15, somewhere there. Um, and then I was smoking weed every day, then the Ritalin and the cats, and then obviously clubbing on weekends with MDMA. All right, and real quick before you get into that, I forgot to ask, how did it feel when you cut yourself? Because the only thing I could think of is, I believe when you cut yourself, it releases some like you know natural pain-killing chemicals from your brain might give you a little bit of a book what did it so you tell me what did it do for you I know you said you felt like you deserved it but was it a good feeling when you did it yeah it was like um so you know when you go to the gym and then after gym people say that like you you have this good feeling after gym I don't know if you've ever experienced that yeah like a runner's high after you work out yes so basically after cutting yourself it kind of felt like that like it was like the same sort of release i don't know <laughs> so say you did it in the morning would the feeling of goodness last all day would it last a week how long did it last you a couple hours oh a couple hours that sucks yeah yeah so yeah so then i was doing it morning evening sometimes middle of the day if i could when i got home from school yeah so what did you do after high school when you graduated ended up um, working for so when I was then 16 I got into crystal meth and that's where kind of um, and then when I was about 18 I realized I had a real because I had a real addiction problem um, who, talking about that who got you into the crystal meth my ex-boyfriend So you were really trying to numb yourself. You're trying a multitude of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, if I used to think that if I could go back to the day that I did use crystal meth for the first time, I should have told him that I, I don't want to do it because to be fair, he did say, don't do like, you don't want to get stuck up in this drug. And I was like, well, if I can't do it, then you can't do it kind of thing because I for some reason I really wanted to try it um and then so a lot of people blame him and say like that boyfriends like that are really bad and I never blamed him I've always it was me I made that deci decision to say to him if you can't do it I can't do it because what I could have decided was okay leave if this is what you want to do if yep. you if you yeah <clears throat> and I didn't so you had I a choice. Kind of, I, I, I totally had a choice, yes. Because I went to a school where they taught us all about the bad effects of drugs. They showed us all the celebrities' photos of before and after. Like, I was not uneducated. I knew exactly what I was doing. But I still said, hey, let me do it. <laughs> it's, again, it's like that self-sabotage, self-harm kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I knew where it was going to lead me, but I still did it. <laughs> It's just amazing what us addicts do. Yeah. Like, like you said, you, you know that you're about to get into a slow moving car wreck and you still, you still did it. Yep. It was the same thing with me. Like I, I knew once I did cocaine, I'd be addicted. Um, and I got addicted and I did it for a few years. Yeah. 
And then the painkillers, when I first started taking painkillers, I didn't know if I thought they'd be addictive or no, but they ended up being real addictive. Um, but enough, enough about me, we're talking about you. So <laughs> did you kind of, grow, what was your maturity level like? Because a lot of people say when you start using drugs young, <clears throat> excuse me, when you start using drugs young, your maturity level kind of stays there. Even so like, when, say you start using drugs when you're 16, even when you're 25, you still kind of act like you're 16. So because going back to growing up and my mom being a single mom and me having to be quite independent, I've always been more mature than people my own age, always. Um, so that's why I've always hung out with older people and I've always dated older guys. So I think my maturity has always been above a person's maturity my age, <laughs> but okay, that's, that's my good. take on it. Yeah, and a lot of people who, who I, I do meet, like they, they do say, Paige, you are very mature for your age. Even my friends are all older still to this day. So, yeah. So you started crystal meth when you were 16? Uh, or methamphetamine? I forgot, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, crystal meth. Uh, I think I was actually seven, 17. Yeah, I was 17. Okay. Yeah. And then basically from when I started it, my ex and I were on it every day uh, for two years and then we broke up and then I was on it every day for a year and a half. And what was really scary is in that time I worked and I actually did really, really well in my job. So I had good money coming in, which I obviously spent mostly on my drugs. Um, and it was very hard for my mom to be able to tell something was wrong until I eventually reached a point. So I didn't have a financial issue that gave people the signs that I was using, or I looked after myself really well. So I was a salesperson working and stuff. So it was really hard for my mom to be able to tell. And I had to come to a point where I had to say, I need help. Yeah, I think when you have uh, when you're self-sufficient and you can handle yourself as far as like your bills and things, it, it helps hide it much better. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely helps hide the fact that you're having internal struggles. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I, I worked for my mom, so she she saw how well I was doing um, with sales and well, uh, housing. So I rented out houses and stuff. So she saw how well I was doing. So it, there were no like tail signs to her other than isolating in my room all the time. But she, because I've done that from young, she just thought I'm just like that. So you've always been a loner type? Yes. <laughs> you think there's a reason for that? Um, I think that, well, what, what I kind of, realized in rehab is that a lot of people who go through addiction have always felt alienated no matter what age they've always felt alienated so I think that that stemmed from a really young age and I was just always alienated I was just always you know <laughs> yeah yeah so you said you were working for your mom once you got out of high school yes how long did you work for your mom uh, for a year and I think it was a year and seven months or six months. 
yeah, until I went to rehab. So what what got you into rehab? What, what, what was the precipitating factor? Was there anything that happened? Um, basically, I was just losing my mind. I was, I was smoking. I was hitting a pipe of crystal meth every 20 minutes. I couldn't go longer than 20 minutes without having, because I was starting to like hit a super low. Um, and I was just, I was, you know, like, have you ever had that feeling when you're going to meet the dealer again and you're like, I don't want to do this, but you feel like your body has to, to keep going. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and many I was of just... us, we have something inside of us telling us, don't do it. Don't do it. And then yeah. you have something also saying, go do it, go do it. Yeah. It's, it stopped being a high. It really, it just like, I couldn't put my makeup on in the morning without having a hit. I could just make coffee. So I could make coffee and then after coffee, I had to go and have a hit. I couldn't do anything further. Um, so I, I was just, I was sick of it. I was sick of hearing the sound of a lighter. I was sick of... How was it holding a job during that? If you had to do it so often, how, how did nobody notice? I have no idea. <laughs> so I no have, idea. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Um, so... Yeah, I just mentally I was not okay. So financially I was kind of okay. Physically I was okay, but mentally I was so trapped or I was just screaming for help in my head. I just I was sick of it. So I cuz I had been to my mom twice um previously uh, a couple months before I eventually went to rehab, I had asked my mom, mom I I, t I told her I said mom I have a serious drug addiction, I need help. And she basically, she didn't realize to what extent I had it. She just thought like I was using on weekends or whatever. And like my mom was a kid once, she did that on weekends. So I think she didn't realize the depths of how bad it was. And she also didn't realize how bad crystal meth actually was. Um, so I just, because I was so trapped, I, uh, had a friend who had a farm four hours away from where I stayed in South Africa. So I left my job. I told my mom I was going away for a month and I got on a bus to go try and get sober in the middle of nowhere on a farm with friend, with a friend and her husband. And about four days in the detox was just horrible. It was awful actually. And I eventually I got the courage. Well, I thought to myself, if I phone my mom now, because all I really wanted to do was go to rehab, but I was like, can someone just, can something magically just put me in a rehab? Mm. Um, so I knew if, because I was far from my mom, I was four hours away. I could phone her and she could either say, okay, I never want to speak to you again because you've gone down this road of drug addiction and like, I just don't want to deal with it. And at least I wasn't home and I was four hours away from home. Or she could say, okay, let's actually help you this time. So I knew it was going to go either way. But at least if it went the wrong way of her saying, like, I don't care. You need to, like, sort yourself out. I wasn't going to be at home. So I, like, wouldn't feel her anger at home. And by the grace of God, she said, okay, I'm coming to fetch you tomorrow morning and we're taking you to rehab. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of share... Uh 
some of that story where I had to, I had to have my own intervention <clears throat> where when Back. I decided to get better, I gathered my family around and told them I have issues. I'm like, I need to admit it to someone. And I didn't even know about the steps. I had no idea about the 12 steps. So, but it ends up that day I took the first step. Yeah. You, you, yeah, admit yeah. you have a problem because I, we actually have our own set of 10 steps, but no matter what, that's still step one. Even though I have our own set of steps, I borrowed some from AA. And because how else are you going to get better if you can't admit what you are? Exactly. Exactly. It's yeah, you got to break that denial. You got to. And, and for a long time, um, my mom was in more denial than I was. So. Yeah, that's, it's nobody wants. I'm sure for parents, it probably feels like you failed because that's oh, how yeah. I would feel. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. Like, I, I think, yeah, I don't think anyone wants a, a kid who's unfortunately lost in addiction. I, I don't think anyone wants that. It was hard for me, though, because I'd been for, been there for my mom every time she got arrested. Like, I understood she had a disease, kleptomania. I, I was there every single time. I think it was something like eight or seven times that, that I was there. And then when I went to my mom for help, like I have a problem, it was like, no, sort this out yourself. So I had to get over a lot of that anger and resentment towards her during rehab because of that. Yeah. What was rehab like? It was probably the best three months of my life. (laughs) Really? Yeah. In fact, when I left, I was like, I probably should have stayed longer. <laughs> Elaborate on that. What was so great about it? Um, the people, it, it just, I think, meeting meeting other addicts and, and living with them for that time being, you finally feel accepted, even though you've stuffed up in life. You feel like they're there for you because they've also stuffed up. So it was that, just that bond you know, um, which I hadn't had in in a long time because obviously with my family and stuff not being so supportive. Um, but another thing is I started following Christ in rehab and I've no one in my family is, well, I, did, I wasn't raised in a faithful house. Or, <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, it was just amazing. <laughs> yeah. Great. So what was it actually like? What was your daily routine like? Uh, so we would wake up and then we would get dressed and have coffee for about 30 minutes. And then we'd have to sit on our beds, which they called like quiet time. So which is like time that you write in your journal, you do your 10th step inventory. Um, and then, or read your Bible or a book or whatever. Or you just have to be quiet and on your bed for that those 30 minutes then we had duties so like every week we were on a rotation of duties sometimes you had to empty the porta potty which was horrible (laughs) (laughs) um so like sweeping the rooms or dusting the surfaces so like a different duty we went on a rotation every week then we had breakfast and then yeah it was different every day so some days we would have lectures um to understand the disease of addiction and like why we were different and why we were there. Um, then some days we would, we did equine therapy, which is like horse therapy with horses. Oh, very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, 
or gardening. Some days they made us do gardening. I do not have green thumbs at all. <laughs> um, or, or then our step work some days. It was just step work. It sounds like a very peaceful and serene environment because they do that. I mean, especially when you're doing the detox part of your rehab, it's very, very, I guess the word is plush. Like I yeah. remember I walked in, we had this huge, nice leather couch. They had video games. They had a refrigerator that was stocked at all times. Oh, um, wow. You can smoke cigarettes anytime you want, like throughout the day. There's, I mean, they did have certain break times, but there were other times where you can just go outside and have a cigarette if you wanted. Um, I don't smoke anymore. Thank God I quit when I got out of rehab. Um, I, I quit smoking cigarettes in rehab. I was like, if I'm quitting everything else, I can quit this. <laughs> exactly. And that's what I said. But one of the guys before I got to rehab, he goes, if I were you, I would bring cigarettes. He goes, it's not easy to quit that soon. But when I yeah. got out of rehab, one day I just said, I'm like, dude, you don't even like it anymore. It smells and just stop. And it tastes horrible. <laughs> yes. I think it's more like when you when you high, especially when you're on stimulants, you just need something to do with your hands, so you tend to smoke cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how long was the rehab stay again? I was there for three months. Yeah, 90 days. Yeah. So what what was the most important thing you learned while you were there? Um that it's actually not selfish to put yourself first. Yeah, I was, I've always been a people pleaser. And I learned there that it's, it's okay to say no, if you're uncomfortable, or if you don't want to be in a situation, and you just can put yourself first, and it's okay to do that. That's a very important thing to learn. Yeah. Because you got to get better for yourself if you want to. Because if you do want to actually do it for other people, you need to do it for yourself first. Oh, yeah. With, without that, you can't do it for anyone else. You can't help anyone else. No. Yeah. Yeah. So you learn that. You get out of rehab. What happens when you get out of rehab? Where do you go? Uh, back to my mom's house. Okay. Which was... um testing <laughs> it was quite testing so this was actually only this was in November last year so this I got out in end of November last year out of rehab so uh then I very quickly got a job uh waitressing which was very humbling going from um doing real estate to waitressing because you in real estate you earn quite a bit of money and then waitressing you don't earn that much money yeah, But I didn't actually do it for the money because in my relapse prevention plan, I wasn't allowed to actually have a lot of money all the time. But I did it for something to do, I think, <laughs> in, in the December of last year. Yeah. So I ended up picking up quite a few shifts at work. Yeah, and then I, I was very grateful to spend a few Christmas holidays with my mom because I thought I was going to be in rehab for December. <laughs> That's good. You got a job. Yeah. So what, what has life been? When exactly was this? When did you leave rehab? Um, end of November. Yeah, that's what you just said. So yeah. life's been good since then, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. 
obviously I have my craving cycles and I have my days, <laughs> which I think we all do, but I, I must be honest, I still haven't had a day where I'm as low to even think about going back to picking up again. How do you do that every day? Is there a routine or a regimen you suggest? Yes, routine, definitely routine. <laughs> what kind of routine do you have? Um, well, I don't have like a set routine, but I definitely make sure that I get up, I have something to eat and I shower and I get dressed. That is the most important thing, I think, especially if you suffer depression. The, the most important thing is to, as hard as it sometimes can be, is just to get up, have something to eat, shower and get dressed. Yep. It, it's something about that is just really healthy. <laughs> um, and I think another thing is remembering where I came from, remembering what it felt like in addiction in my, at my lowest point when I just felt that hopeless and that empty and that just so like nothing, basically, like, like you just nothing. <laughs> that, I don't know if you can relate to that feeling of just nothingness of complete nothingness somewhat yeah i've done a lot of self-reflection and meditation and kind of kind of get that feeling yeah so i think that point that that lowest point in my addiction remembering that when i have a bad day or a craving cycle is really helps me to not want to pick up again that's good yeah so Getting towards the end here. Um, I'm trying to think of my next question. What is the biggest lesson you've learned out of all of this? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> take your time. Uh, take your time. Think about it. That there can be more to laugh, I think. Is, is probably the biggest lesson that I've learned that they really like that we can make the choice to make our life better every day. You can fight for what you want. You can make that choice. and Yeah. Yeah. My favorite quote is um, in the end, everything will be okay. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> great. Do you know who quoted that? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Still yeah. good. Still good. Yeah, you should definitely post that in the group. I'm sure people yeah. would love that. Yeah. So that's about it. How do you feel? How did how did you think you did today? I think you did well. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Thank you. No, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, and now towards the end, I uh, just want to say to everybody, if you like what you heard, go down below click subscribe also give us a like you can visit us at our facebook page or the facebook group if you go to our group under the events tab there's a ton of zoom meetings that we do i highly suggest you check one out um and then just check us out on other social media if you're into instagram you're into twitter reddit stuff like that we're on all of them. Um, we also have a free patreon account where you can also access the videos um so all that is free so that's all i got for today i want to thank Paige again and until next time awesome thank you for having me all right that's awesome to have you i really enjoyed our conversation awesome thank you all right folks until next time
Bye.